The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. I'm Eric Trumez. I'm a North Peak Spine Surgeon in Austin, Texas, and I'm pleased to uh, host this uh, Ask the Experts session with some very distinguished colleagues from both the orthopedic and neurosurgical sides. Uh, let's go around the circle and see who's who. I'm Dan Resnick. I'm a neurosurgeon from Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Zoe Gogawala. I'm a neurosurgeon in Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Jeff Wong. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon in Los Angeles, California. I did my fellowship with Harry Herkowitz, and spondylolisthesis was a major research topic in that institution. Uh, over the last 30 years, it's been constantly debated, and we've gone back and forth, but the trends in practice have changed quite a lot. And starting with you, Dr. Resnick, what's your take on degenerative spondylolisthesis? How do you approach it? How do you talk to patients about it? Well, I think there's been uh, an evolution of thought regarding degenerative spondylolisthesis. We recognize that it's not just one disease. Uh, that different patients require different treatments for a different condition which is lumped into the diagnosis of degenerative spondylolisthesis. So depending upon the amount of instability, disc space height, the patient's activities, wants, and needs, uh, the same diagnosis can be treated in many different ways. Uh, there's been an evolution in minimally invasive techniques, uh, different fusion techniques, uh, minimally invasive decompression alone techniques, which preserve the facet joints, have, have really changed the standard treatment, um, have eliminated a standard treatment uh, for spondylolisthesis. Dr. Wang, uh, has the ability to minimally invasively decompress the spine affected who you might fuse or who you might not fuse? Absolutely. It, it's changed my practice, and I've seen my practice evolve. And I just, I don't mean to be redundant, but I think Dan really hit on the major point, is that degenerative spondylolisthesis is a term, but there are so many variations within that term. And I have to take into account the patient's symptoms, as well as the pathology and the x-rays, how much it's moving and things like that. But uh, I, I remember when I first came out, one of the um, most common revision surgeries I did was a spondylolisthesis that was not fused. And that affected my practice early on. Uh, with the development of minimally invasive techniques, um, I kind of look for the patients that I think that I can get away with. But again, it's not just the radiological issues. I think a lot has to do with the symptomatology. Is back pain an issue there? I think back pain is a huge issue. Uh, I, I think you have to individualize each, each patient. You can't just look at the x-rays and the MRIs or the CT myelograms. You have to look at their symptomatology. And I also like to look at their response to epidurals. I, I know nothing is absolutely predictive, and I think we probably all have different opinions on that. But I like to look at their response if they're having mainly what I think nerve issues and the response to an epidural. And that may affect um, whether I can decompress them alone with a minimally invasive technique versus doing a full fusion. I think a lot of us respond to kind of the last failure we saw and yeah. base our decision making a little bit more on risk aversion than the data. Dr. Gogawala, where is the data t showing us, you know, that this subject is going and how should our treatment patterns reflect changes in the database? So there have been a couple of uh, randomized control trials that were published in the uh, New England Journal in April 2016. And um, I think that the, the overall take uh, from that is that, uh, as we've heard from uh, Dr. Resnick and Dr. Wong, that not all patients with spondylolisthesis are the same, for one. And number two, 
not all patients with a grade one degenerative spondylolisthesis necessarily need to be fused. And I think if you take a look at the trials from that perspective, the things that, uh, that I take away uh, and try to apply in the clinic is that patients need to understand that uh, if they have a simple decompression, um, there's a risk that they might need another operation in the next four to five years. And different patients respond to that information differently. Some people want everything done up front to give them a durable treatment strategy. Those patients probably are best served with a lumbar spinal fusion. Some patients would rather have a smaller operation if the surgeon feels that uh, that operation can be accomplished either minimally invasively or not uh, with uh, facet sparing. Uh, and, um, and, and those patients can do very, very well, and I think the data shows that. But over time, more patients who have a decompression will need a reoperation over a four or five year period. When you hear that, has that changed how you talk to your patients? Does it uh, change your set point between this is automatically a decompression procedure or automatically a decompression infusion procedure with exceptions? And radiographically, what would the exceptions be? What kinds of findings would push you one way or the other when you're discussing those issues with your patient? You know, I, I always thought that as I got older, things would become more clear uh, uh, to me. Uh, with this issue, things have just become muddier and muddier. And, I, and uh, the, uh, um, the, you know, when I, when I first came out of training, sort of like Jeff, it was just like, well, is a spondylolisthesis, you do a fusion. You know, period. That's just what it was, and, and I've gotten more and more away from that with the evolution of minimally invasive techniques. Um, what I look for in, in clinical decision making uh, has a lot to do with the symptoms, as Jeff said, radiographic parameters, as Zoe mentioned, facet angles, disc space height, mobility, um, but also a lot to do with, with patient wants and needs. And if it's a younger person who's more active, I'm more apt to do a bigger operation as opposed to an older patient who's less active. Um, but it, 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 every patient is different. There is no one. There is, no, there is no one overriding factor. Perhaps the only, the only factor that I think, think would trump anything is a regional kyphosis. If they have a regional kyphosis, they're, they're going to be fused and they're, and they're going to probably have an inner body. You know? But other than that, um, there's, I don't think there's really any one factor that, um, that um, uh, makes it a cookie cutter case. You know, there, there, there's, there's the, every one of these cases, you need, you need to uh, consider the array of treatment options and put that in context with the best evidence available, which thanks to Zoe, we, we, we have uh, quite a, a fair amount of, of evidence on this. We have clinical practice guidelines that have been published on this topic by multiple societies, uh, in, in, um, which are all relatively consistent uh, with each other, uh, saying that you have options uh, in treating these, and, and there is no one cookie cutter way to do it. And if you try to apply a cookie cutter, uh, 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 try to apply a cookie cutter mentality to this patient population, you're going to be doing some inappropriate surgeries. Dr. Wang, uh, are there any particular findings that would drive your practice one way or the other? And is there an impact of osteoporosis or sarcopenia on your decision making? Yeah, so I, I think it's multifactorial. And I think the ones that we're really kind of talking about where it's on the edge, I mean, you see some patients you clearly feel you need to do a fusion. You know, there's gross instability, there's dynamic compression, and you feel like you're going to create uh, instability because you know you're going to have to do a pretty big decompression. And maybe you're not going to get as much of a decompression doing it minimally invasively. And then there are ones that are very, very stable, very little back pain, don't really move on flexion extension views. I think those are the extremes and those are easy. It's the ones in the middle. It's, the, it's sort of the gray area. And I think you have to look at all those factors. And you have to look at the patient, the protoplasm. As Zoe and Dan mentioned, you have to look at what they want. 
You know, some people want it all done. Some people are okay with a smaller surgery. But I think Dan touched on something that's very important for me is I want to look at the other pathologies that are there. You know, I want to look at the other levels, the overall alignment and things like that. Because I find myself now seeing a spondylolisthesis, maybe an older patient, they have a bit of a degenerative scoliosis, they have a lot of, of other things going on that actually may push me more towards a decompression uh, rather than doing a big surgery. Because I feel like if I'm just going to fuse at one level, I'm going to have adjacent level problems, maybe proximal junctional kyphosis, and it's just going to kind of open Pandora's box. So I think you have to look at all the different things and all the factors that, that you have before you. You bring up a great point. As you start fusing people, you may be opening a can of worms. And that discussion with the patient, you know, I want to get this fixed and I want the bigger procedure on the front end. Frankly, do we really have that to offer, Dr. Goawala? Is there any procedure that fixes the patient? If I fuse the patient, I'm concerned about adjacent level or other spinal degenerative issues. And, and how I can effectively counsel the patient has a lot to do with my relationship with that patient, our ability to communicate, trust, uh, patients sometimes seem to get it and sometimes don't. How, any mm. tips on that? Yeah, that's a good, good point. So um, even a fusion, whether you look at the sport trial or you look at the slip trial, had a 12 to 13% reoperation rate over a four to five year period. It turns out when you look at the outcomes that reoperation for a patient who's had a fusion does not uh, necessarily have a great outcome. On the other hand, Patients who have a simple decompression and get a subsequent fusion at one level generally have an excellent outcome. So I think that we, we have a lot to learn about how best to treat patients who've had a fusion who then develop adjacent level disease. And on the other side, we have a lot to learn about those patients that we decompress. I think I agree with uh, Dr. Wong and, and Dr. Resnick that there's some patients that you just look at and you sort of know they need a fusion, regional kyphosis, substantial motion on flexion and extension. But I'm constantly surprised by the type of patient that I saw in the clinic who looked relatively stable, narrow disc face height, uh, good uh, thick facet joints, and four years later, they come back with mechanical back pain after a decompression and instability, and they need a fusion. So I think we have a lot to learn about what are the real features, anatomic features that drive uh, delayed instability. Thanks a lot. Good. Appreciate it. Phenomenal. Thank you very much. Now, before getting up, would you mind taking off your lavalier microphone so they're not long term?